Chapter 13 of Workers Together. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Workers Together or an Endless Chain by Pansy. Chapter 13 Fettered. When they were spinning over the road again, Robert had some questions to ask. Is your patient in there very sick? Has been. He is better now, in a fair way to get out again if he doesn't spoil it all by his impatience and fretfulness. He is a cranky sort of patient, thinks he is having the worst time a man ever had in this world, and all that kind of thing. It is queer to me that people don't do more in the way of comparing their lot with others. Is he poor? Poor? Did his surroundings look like it? Why, he is Mr. Cady, the moneyed partner of your own firm. The mischief he is! What did his grumbling mean about his business? I thought I heard him worrying over it, and I fancied he might be a poor clerk, accidentally laid aside in the house of his employer, you know, or something of that sort. Not a bit of it. He might possibly be a cheerful man if that were the case. Oh, he worries about business half the time, lays awake nights to worry instead of sleeping as I want him to. He has heavy responsibilities, of course. Probably some money depends on his being on hand, to manage certain interests. But he is very far removed from poverty, and would be if his firm should shut down to-morrow. Those people are often the ones who waste the most time in friction over the inevitable. He is a Christian man, too, and that ought to come to his help now, would if he had been used to letting it help him. There are a good many people who do not seem to be helped by that experience as much as they ought, if profession is worth anything, Robert said, and there was an undertone of sarcasm in his voice. That is true, the doctor said emphatically, and it speaks ill for the people who will not allow themselves to be helped, and nothing whatever against the one who always stands ready to help them. If you are going to cavil at religion, young man, you want at least to try to be logical. Shallowness in argument shows plainer on that subject than any other. They had turned into a narrow street where the houses grew every moment poorer and meaner, and at one of the meanest of these tenement houses the doctor drew rein. Here is a patient of mine, he said. At least I have constituted myself his physician. Come in. The inside air is not particularly agreeable, probably. Still, you ought to be able to endure for five minutes what they live on. I will not be long. The wind is changing, and I must get you home. What had become of the pleasant side of the medical profession if it brought people of necessity in contact with such developments of life? Something of this was in Robert's thoughts as he followed his guide into the one ill-smelling, comfortless room where a sick man tossed among the soiled bedclothes and a woman in sadly torn dress and uncombed hair stood looking helplessly down at him and three dirty children alternately quarreled and cried in the corner. Good morning, the doctor said cordially. I am Dr. Everett. I told Mrs. Saunders I would call here. You know Mrs. Saunders? Well, I am a friend of hers. What is the trouble here? By this time his cool, skilled fingers were pressed to the throbbing pulse. Presently he issued his orders. Parks, drop the window at your left six inches from the top. My friend, please take two of these quilts off. One is quite sufficient. No, I wouldn't leave the comfortable, either. He will be more comfortable without it. 
Could you get me a dish of some sort with cold water? That tin basin would do if you were to rinse it. Don't you think you could find a place for the children to play away from this room? The noise is bad for your husband. There is no place for them, sir. Sometimes it seems to me there is no place for them in the world. And the woman lifted a corner of her soiled apron and wiped away great tears from her anxious eyes. Never mind, the doctor said soothingly. It is God's world and he made your little children. You may be sure he has a place for them, both in this world and in heaven. Meantime he was unfastening the gold-buttoned cuffs and laying them aside. Robert, the fastidious young man, who, with an empty purse and an aching head that refused to be put at anything which would fill the purse, hated poverty and care and coarseness of surrounding with an ever-growing hatred, watched with a kind of fascinated horror, and saw the fashionable doctor produce and shake out a fine cambric handkerchief, deliberately dip it into the basin of water that had been brought, and proceed to bathe the sick man's burning face. The wife, too, was horrified, though from a different cause. "'Are you putting water on him?' she exclaimed, dire dismay in her voice. "'Why, Timmy said there mustn't a drop of water touch him, and he said the window must be kept tight shut, and the fire was to burn day and night.' "'And who is Timmy?' the doctor asked, keeping up the cool, steady passes of the cambric handkerchief. "'Why, he is a good friend that has stayed of nights, and took care of my Tom, faithful, and helped us all. What I would have done without him is more than I know. He is a good nurse, too, Timmy is, and said we mustn't wash his face, and we mustn't open the window at all.' "'Yes,' said Dr. Everett, still in his gentlest tone, not the one that he used at the bedside of his wealthy patient, nor yet such an one as he often used to Robert. He is a good friend, I have no doubt, and we must be grateful to him. But I'll tell you what it is, he isn't a doctor, and we doctors have all sorts of notions, one of them being that people, sick people especially, must have fresh air to breathe. At this point the sick man murmured something in a weak and feeble tone. The doctor bent over him. "'Water,' he said cheerily. "'Of course you can have all the water you want. "'Bring us some, please, the coldest you have. "'It will refresh him.' "'The poor wife stood aghast, making no motion to obey. "'I don't know what to do,' she moaned. "'Oh, what will Timmy say? "'He said it would be death to him to drink water, "'and he has been calling for it all night long, "'and I don't dare give it to him.' The doctor glanced behind him. Parks, get that cup and fill it with water, won't you? Is that water in the pail what you drink, my good woman? Wait a moment, Parks. How fresh is it? See here, do you know Miss Joy Saunders? That she did, the woman declared, and she was an angel in human flesh, too. Very well, here is a paper of cookies and playthings in my overcoat pocket, which Miss Joy sent to the children and she sent word that you were to do exactly as I told you. Now my directions are that you get as fresh a cup of water for your husband as the old well out there will furnish. It is another notion that belongs to doctors, and everybody has to obey doctors, you know. With ominous shakes of the head, despite the face which had brightened a little at the mention of Joy Saunders's name, the woman went for water, and before long the sick man, his head supported by the doctor's skilled arm, 
was taking long draughts of that which had been denied him all through the burning night. Presently he lay back satisfied, with something very like rest stealing over his face. Now, said the doctor, we have him a little more comfortable. Don't put any more clothing on the bed, please. His fever is high enough to keep him warm. I wouldn't make up any more fire, either, just enough to keep it from going out. And mind you, leave the window dropped as it is now. Let your husband have a drink of water every ten minutes if he wants it. I will leave you some powders, one of which you are to give him every hour, and I shall hope, when I call to-morrow, to see him decidedly better. If you follow my directions carefully, I feel sure that he will be. Is your friend Timmy Nolan? I thought so. Timmy is a good fellow. I know him well and like him much. You say to him that Dr. Everett told you to use plenty of water and fresh air, and he will tell you it is all right. Now about these little ones. Your husband needs coolness and quiet. If you will let the children take a ride with me, I will carry them around to the children's playroom at the home. They will be well taken care of there, will have a nice time and a good dinner, and a chance to make all the noise they please. I'll return them to you safely tonight when I pass this way. Something, whether it was Joy's cookies, or the fact that Timmy Nolan was the doctor's friend, or whether it was the look of relief that was stealing over her husband's face, perhaps all three combined, disarmed the troubled nurse and brought her over entirely to the doctor's side. She made haste to get the two older children ready, expressing her gratitude meantime, but assuring him that she would keep the baby as quiet as a mouse if the two others were out from under her feet. It transpired, therefore, that Robert Parks was soon seated again in the doctor's handsome carriage, with two little bundles of rags at his feet. Some dismay and a good deal of annoyance were visible on his face. "'Aren't there people whose business it is to do things of this sort?' he asked, directly they were out of Mrs. Riley's hearing. His delicate nose was slightly lifted, and his whole manner expressed disapprobation. "'Of course there are,' the doctor said heartily. "'Aren't we doing them as fast as we can?' "'But I mean, you know what I mean, doctor. "'It certainly doesn't belong to your profession to spend your time in this way.' "'In what way, for instance?' "'Why, washing sick men's faces and taking care of ragged children.' "'Intense disgust in his tone. "'That depends. "'If the face needs washing just then, "'and there seems to be no one who understands the business better,' I take it the duty becomes mine. I have my commission about this very matter directly from headquarters, and could show it to you if you were interested in such things. But Robert was not disposed to yield the question. He still held to his disdainful air as he said, I should suppose that your taste and talents lay in other directions. More in the direction of our first stopping place, eh? Well, I shouldn't agree with you. I read long ago a sentence that has probably had much to do with keeping me from fastidiousness in my profession. There is no respect of persons with God. That is the wording, and when one stops to study it, it is a tremendous thought. If God, from his infinite height, can look down upon all the world, having the same wonderful, patient, persistent love for all mankind, what am I that I should not give my utmost strength for the poorest and meanest of his creatures? The truth is, young man, all these things seem to me very small matters. 
when I remember the infinite height above us all that the Lord occupies, and how he stoops to have anything to do with one of us, I am humiliated at the idea of calling any work of mine lowly. There are times when there seem to me no very great heights or depths to humanity. To all of which Robert Parks had really no answer to make. In his estimation, there were great heights and depths to humanity. He had been accustomed all his young life to look upon himself as one belonging to those on the heights. To be sure he was poor, but he told himself that that was a mere accident or misfortune of birth and opportunities. But he was refined and cultured. He belonged to a family who could look back on a long line of scholars. There was good blood in his veins, none better. It had required no condescension on the doctor's part or anyone's part to show kindness to him. As regarded good breeding and refinement, he was on a par with any of them but to profess that there was no difference between such as he and the family they had just left, for instance, was an offensive doctrine. What a fanatical person this Dr. Everett was! Such ideas might carry him to any sort of wild action. He knew something of self-sacrifice. Hadn't he given up all hope of a collegiate education and accepted a clerkship for the sake of his mother and sister? To be sure, his conscience immediately asked him what particular help he had been to his mother and sister since making that sacrifice. He certainly had not expected them to support him at college, and he certainly had done little besides support himself. Still, he had always called it a sacrifice, and looked upon it with complacency. But if one must sacrifice personal comfort, personal taste, and even common decency, in order to do for other people— he had no desire to learn the art. Also, said Dr. Everett, suddenly breaking in upon his thoughts, I took for my motto when I entered professional life an old sentence which is like a flaming sword that reaches every way. Take heed what you do, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. It reads something like that, and keeping it in mind makes living an important matter, just as important for me to do my work well for Thomas Riley as for the senior partner of your firm. It is a very disagreeable doctrine, Robert Parks said, drawing his foot away from contact with the little Rileys. I don't see how a man in your position and with your abilities can be fettered by it. Why, the difficulty with that reasoning is that the Lord of Glory has chosen to fetter himself with it. There is no respect of persons with God. Those are the very words. They are expressive, you see. What is the use in a man thinking about his position or his abilities after that? Oh, well, said Robert, that is another matter. I should think it was. Not much comparison between my position and the Lord's. Now, being bound to remember that the Savior died, actually died, for Thomas Riley, you see my bathing his face with my clean handkerchief takes a very low grade isn't worthy of being counted or remembered. End of chapter 13 Recording by Tricia G.